welcome back for a new season of The Last Word, the true life podcast that asks, what's the significance of a person's dying words and their impact on those left behind? Last time I spoke about deathbed confessions, public deaths, bizarre mishaps, and tragic accidents. In season two, I'm focused on a specific group, athletes. Gifted individuals, often young, whose talents thrust them into the spotlight. Did their gifts lead to early deaths? Were the lines blurred by the intoxicating mix of arrogance, wealth, and early success? Some died in service of others. Their fame enabled them to give back, often in big ways. There are suicides, which are always difficult to understand, and too many murders. Some were victims of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Others ignored the risks and it cost them their lives. As always, these topics can be dark and disturbing and may not be suitable for young or sensitive listeners. I'm your host, Sarah Faith. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and now on Vocal. Be sure to check the show notes for those links. And if you enjoy the episode, please share it with someone who may enjoy it also. When we come back, we will dive into our first story about a young baseball player. Stay with us. Now, back to the story. The athletes in these stories have something in common. None of them live to see 40. When we look closely at individuals who received an extra helping of talent, A pattern of early demise seems present. This raises an important question. Did their gifts or their lifestyles lead to an early demise? The average life expectancy for a man in the U.S. is 75.6 years and 80.8 years for women. I want to point out that this data does not include the current pandemic. Athletes are in a separate group, however. Evolutionary psychologist Gil Green Gross explains the life expectancy for athletes in his article for Psychology Today. Quote, Athletes die at a younger age compared to other famous people. One possible explanation for the relatively short life expectancy of athletes is that being a professional athlete nowadays is not the healthiest thing to do. The competitiveness involved in professional sports can cause high levels of stress, which itself is not healthy. Other risk factors include the use of performance-enhancing drugs, injuries, and the long-term effect of concussions in some sports. Another explanation for the relatively shorter life of professional athletes is what happens after they retire. Athletes have relatively short careers compared to other professions and reach their peak early in their lives. Life after retirement could be quite frustrating without the thrills of the game and the fame that accompanies it. This might lead to more depression, drug and alcohol addictions, and even bankruptcy. All have adverse effects on health. star Nick Adenhart was a pitcher for the Angels. The six-foot-three right-hander from Maryland made his Major League Baseball pitching debut at the tender age of 22. 
April 9, 2009, hours after pitching six innings with no hits, Nick and a group of friends were driving to a country and western dance club when their car was struck at an intersection. A drunk driver in a minivan blew through a red light at 65 miles per hour and struck the car in which Nick was a passenger, sending it into a telephone pole. The driver of that Mitsubishi Eclipse was Cal State cheerleader Courtney Stewart and passenger Henry Pearson, 25. She was pronounced dead at the scene, as well as Henry. Nick and another passenger, John Wilhite, 24-year-old former catcher for Cal State Titans and journalism graduate from Arizona State, were taken to a nearby hospital in Irvine. Nick was pronounced dead. Wilhite suffered internal decapitation from the impact, along with numerous severe injuries. Six days after the crash, surgeons worked for five hours reattaching his skull to his spine. He was the only survivor. The driver of the minivan that blew through the red light was Andrew Thomas Gallo. He was arrested the following month and charged with three counts of murder, three counts of felony hit and run, driving under the influence and causing injury, driving while intoxicated. He tested three times the legal limit two hours after the crash, driving on a suspended license. Following a two-week jury trial in September of 2010, Gallo was convicted on three counts of second-degree murder, two counts of driving under the influence, which resulted in great bodily injury, one count of felony hit and run. On December 22, 2010, Gallo was sentenced to 51 years to life. Retired relief pitcher Kevin Jepson wondered what his teammate might have achieved. Nick was such a good talent. He had a, such an unbelievable potential. There was an all-star game or a Cy Young award in his future. What kind of career would Nick have had in baseball? I'm sure it would have been a great one. When we come back, I'll dive into a true crime story with a bizarre twist. And now back to the show. Our next young athlete was born and raised in Southern California. Star of the boys golf team, Erica Blasberg quickly rose through the ranks to become the number one ranked college player her freshman year at the University of Arizona. In 2002, she won the Rolex Tournament of Champions. In 2004, she left college and turned pro. She capitalized on her good looks and accepted an endorsement deal from Puma, which was followed by other endorsement deals. As a golf pro, she struggled to reach the same heights in professional golf arena that she had enjoyed in college. In 2010, Erica was living in Henderson, Nevada at Anthem Country Club. May 7, 2010, Erica and married physician Thomas Hess played golf at Southern Highlands Golf Club outside Las Vegas. Her friend Jay Beckman ran into her while golfing. Later, he said, she was making fun of my shirt. She seemed fine. She seemed normal. She seemed like Erica. Later, Erica and Hess were seen in a hotel lounge watching a sports event on TV and sharing intimate touches. The next day, Hess purchased a prepaid cell phone. The only person he called was Erica. The next day, he went to her home. 
When he left at 9 p.m., he said Erica was drunk. At 3.30 a.m., Erica placed a call to Hess that went unanswered. Beginning at 5.13 a.m., Hess placed eight calls to Erica that morning and nine calls to her in the afternoon. Finally, at 3 o'clock on May 9th, he went to her home and discovered her dead body. He called 911. Now here's where the story takes a bizarre turn. Erica was found with a dust mask covering her mouth and a plastic bag over her head held in place by rubber bands. Straightforward suicide? Dr. Hess took it upon himself to remove pills from her home, including ones he had prescribed for her, and the four-page handwritten letter to whoever and whisked it all away in the trunk of his Mercedes-Benz. On May 13th, police raided the home and office of Dr. Hess with a search warrant. Here's what they found. Small white plastic trash bags in Hess's home were identical to ones found next to Erica's bed. Missy Peterson, Erica's caddy, told the New York Times that she received a text from Erica at 4.03 a.m. on May 9th, stating that Erica was not attending the May 10th tournament in Mobile, Alabama. Worried, Missy texted Erica back but never received a reply. This contradicts reports from Erica's agents that Erica's bags were packed and ready for the trip to Mobile. Her agent said she was acting, quote, normal in the preceding days. For those keeping score at home, that is 33 minutes after Erica called Hess and an hour and 10 minutes before Hess began his marathon of unanswered calls to Erica. Erica's father denied she was suicidally depressed, in financial crisis, or unhappy with her career. On August 24, 2010, the coroner's office ruled Erica's death a suicide. Primary cause of death was listed as asphyxiation. Secondary cause, toxic levels of prescription drugs were a, quote, significant factor. The list of medications in her system is long. Pain relievers like codeine and hydrocodone, tramadol, as well as Xanax, butalbital for migraines. But here's what was not in her system. Alcohol. Remember when Hess said that Erica was drunk when he left her house at 9 p.m.? You aren't the only one. The same day the coroner's report was released, Police arrested Dr. Thomas Hess for obstruction of justice, though police said no foul play was suspected. That November, Hess confessed that he had removed Erica's handwritten suicide note and the prescription pills from her nightstand and that he had that he had given her and hid them in his car. Why did he do it? Though he had never met Erica's family, he said that he did it to spare them the embarrassment. In his 911 call, Hess sounded agitated. I called her yesterday. She was supposed to be leaving for a golf tournament, but she didn't. She picked up the phone and she sounded intoxicated at that time. He said that she had consumed a couple of drinks 
and was sad but not suicidal the previous night. The 911 operator asked Hess if Erica was beyond resuscitation, to which he replied, I'm a doctor. Though he did not reveal that he was her physician, instead he told the operator that he, quote, knew her from the golf club. The operator said she was dispatching police. She instructed Hess to wait outside and to touch nothing. He replied, yes, ma'am. The call had been made from Erica's residence, but when police arrived, Hess was not there. He stopped cooperating with authorities for a bit. He eventually pled guilty to misdemeanor obstruction. He was sentenced to one year's probation, 40 hours of community service volunteering in the medical community, and impulse control counseling. Erica's parents filed a wrongful death suit against Hess, accusing him of taking advantage of their much younger daughter and putting his romantic interest in Erica ahead of her needs as his patient. Hess maintained that his friendship with Erica was flirty but platonic. Although he had prescribed medications for her, he was unaware that she was under a psychiatrist's care for depression. Furthermore, he stated that he had not prescribed any of the medications discovered in Erica's system. May 13, 2014, a jury found Hess had no liability in Erica's death. Hess's lawyer referenced her suicide note in defense of her client. Erica wrote in her note that she had attempted suicide numerous times in the months leading up to May 9th. Isolated and troubled by her lack of success as a pro golfer, Erica wrote, I blame no one for the drugs I take this evening. I'm sad and I don't want to be doing this right now. Sorry for all the people I've hurt doing this, but please understand how miserable and sad I am and that I feel no way of escaping it. Thank you for joining me for another episode of The Last Word. Before you go, check out the show notes for links to my author page where you can also check out my writing projects. Next time, I'll talk about Olympic athletes who were gone before 40. In the meantime, I hope you will live each day to the fullest. The Last Word is a true life podcast written and narrated by me, Sarah Faith, copyright 2021.